You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends. A Q1 Network production. Gosh, you know, I've, I've been involved in marketing one form or another for more years than I'm readily and willing to admit, but it's about 45. And I've come across and had the pleasure of meeting a lot of fascinating people that do, in my opinion, really wonderful and creative things. And I've always been one to hold on very closely to the belief that branding, whether it's individual or corporate, maybe one of the most important things we can focus on in terms of, you know, how we want to promote what we're doing and who we are. Well, I have a friend that reached out to me, gosh, I guess it was about a month ago, somebody I went to high school with, have had probably two short conversations in the past 50 years, because that's coming up, our 50th reunion. And she says, you know, you've got to meet this guy. And all of a sudden, I'm reading this incredible book, Zen Zone, Reaching a State of Positive Change. I'm so fascinated with it. I'm learning more about this fellow. And here we are today with Gary Zendersky, an author, a marketer, a branding specialist, a guy that really understands change well, in my opinion. I'm so glad he took time to join me. Gary, it's great to see you. Welcome to Mike's Seminary and Friends. How are you? Mike, I'm doing great and and better for knowing you too. Uh, Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. I really appreciate it. Well, it's it's my pleasure and I appreciate so much that Jane reached out to me. And then I appreciate that uh, you, you kind of took the lead on uh, pinging me, and it just was out, out of coincidence. I was already reading your book, which I we're going to talk a little bit about mm-hmm. it. Not a lot, because one of the things I try to accomplish is tee this up so people go buy the book instead of <laughs> re- revealing too much. <laughs> right. But right. in fact, I'm going to jump into the book real quickly, if you don't mind. Sure. Because there's something I have to know, and, and, and here's how I want to kind of peel this open. I started reading it because I just love change and how you address the state of positive change. I love the chapters, uh, Boldly Go, The Productivity Promise, Letting Go, Living in the Present. I could keep going on and on. And it was just so masterfully put together. It was a page turner for me. But here's what I want to know. The story about Buddy, the homeless guy, is that real? You know, uh, thanks for calling that out. You know, that is, uh, it was totally fiction. <laughs> I, I, I made up, I, on, and honestly, I, I made up every piece of it uh, because I wanted, to, I wanted to find a way to demonstrate the power of giving back because that's a function of change. That's a, a metamorphosis that so many of us go through. And I didn't have, I had some really good examples in real life and in business and stuff. But I wanted someone that you would look at and say, nah, he can't do that. He can't, he couldn't make that happen. And, and Buddy, uh, you know, you know the story, but Buddy made it happen. And he made it happen in a way that was genuinely giving. 
and honoring his friends. And it wasn't just, a, you know, charity. It, it was a state of being, of mind. And, and it was a total connection. And in that, in that metamorphosis and growth, he actually catalyzed the, the point I was trying to make is that we all have that power to change that world, to change a person's world, to change our own world. And we often don't take advantage of it or think we can even do it. But once you think you can, you can. And buddy. Yeah. It, it was a, it was a great story. And, and back to the structure of the book, I, I really appreciated how at the beginning of every chapter, you have editor's notes, real succinct, brief pieces of information and it just really made me want to get to the content faster. Um, you, you, you kept it concise and real hard-hitting, incredibly useful information. And, and for me, what, the reason that's so important, Gary, and then we'll get into what you're doing. If there, I don't know if there's a point in time in the history of people kind that we're going through the types of change, the speed of change, the the types of impact of change that we are right now. And you just address how to walk through that stuff just beautifully. So my question is, gosh, I, I've never started an interview so abruptly. <laughs> so so uh, what caused you to author books like this with such incredibly useful information and then how do you follow up after you deliver it you know th uh, that's a good question thank you and I, i'll tell you the the real true story is is that it wasn't gonna be a book it was just gonna be pieces of information that i wanted to share uh way back way back i, I was the president of an ad agency here in southern california and we had a i was always involved in an agency that liked to grow. So this one was going to, they hired me to kind of take over and run it to go from a small like boutique to something that'd be a little bit bigger. And in order to do that, you have, you just can't have all these one-on-one -on -one conversations. You have to use your connections. And so I just started writing notes to my clients and to my staff, uh, just encouraging things every week, tying a little bit about what's going on in the world. And then I pushed it out to them. Well, I did that for a few weeks, and then they started passing it on to other people. And then I would get responses, the emails directly. Would you, well, that's an interesting subject. Would you write about that again? And long story short, it, it, it became a, a, a driving regular thing with me. Every Sunday, I started writing one. And I did this for like three, four years just writing stories. And I started growing this list and I, it got to be where I had a, a few hundred stories and they were all about the same length, the page, page and a half and all with some kind of positive output. Uh, I'm not a nego person. I don't believe I want to ever land on that side of the equation. I always believe as I have a winning perspective and there's a way to win. And so my encouragement is to that and is to, is to get that out there. And the other thing that, that makes this all possible and you kind of touched on it uh, with, with about the idea of connections, the people that you know that you can bring into your life. When you were talking about the editing notes, there's a woman named Catherine who was my editor for this book. And she also was a colleague. And, and I didn't ask her to do the editor's notes. 
I just said, just edit it, you know, just make it better. And she goes, well, I think, and then she started organizing it for me. I go, oh man, this is unbelievable. And so I thought, you know, so you, you got the benefit of, of her seeing a better way to package what was just kind of raw content. And, and I think that has a lot to do with why people get into the ad business. It's all about the packaging. It's all about the positioning. It's what you want people to think. It's how you show it to them. It's what light hits it. It's uh, what color you use. The, you know, the word that it's, it's got to be in the right context. I mean, there's so many aspects that I, my, my essential philosophy for life is that nothing is in isolation. Everything connects. And so these books are about that connection and the power of it. In fact, I was in a meeting I had earlier today. We were talking about connections and about the speed working today at the speed of light, communications at the speed of light, and that currency today is all about those connections. What what our 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 networks are our net worth, and so people become more important. That's why when Jane said you ought to talk to this guy, I got on the horn and said I got to talk to Mike Seminary, and so here we are. Let's thank you, Gary. Since we have so much in common, marketing guys, radio broadcasting in our backgrounds, and other things, let's start with your journey. We, as we were talking before we started recording because we were talking about the winter that we, yeah. we still have. Yeah. You know, just it, the town where my wife grew up, Minot, North Dakota, I think they have 36 inches of snow starting from last Tuesday. And this is the time of year that typically in North Dakota, and you're in sunny California, typically in North Dakota, people are thinking, ah, I know between Easter and Mother's Day, I can start planting tomatoes. Well, that could happen this year. <laughs> There's just that much snow on the ground. But you were in Ohio. That's what we were talking about before we started. What caused you one day to say, okay, I'm in Ohio, and I'm going to head to the Pacific Coast? How did that happen? Yeah, it's it was a string of events. I don't know how far back you want me to go, but I I will say that I grew up I in Toledo. I have part of a large family, the, the oldest of seven, and and I was the first to go to university, and I I went to the University of Toledo, and about my second year or so, third year, I I I was I had a girlfriend. We we're living together, and and you know like. Everybody going to college, you know, trying to make ends meet. We never had any money. Just, it was just horrible. So in those days, there was no internet. So you'd have to, I went to the student union and I looked at the bulletin board and looked for a part-time job. And this, one, this is like how classic this is. You know, the ad said, full-time pay, part-time work. I go, oh, you got me, man. I love this. <laughs> I'm in. I just signed me up. And so... Uh, I, I signed up for it, and then I got a little, you know, leery about it because it was a, a straight sales job, selling cable TV subscriptions door to door in Toledo, Ohio, in November. It was it's cold, so I'll, I'll kind of accelerate the story a little bit. But basically, I went through the sales training, and I got ready to go on a Saturday, and my girlfriend's like getting really excited. She goes, go out there and get them, man. you got to sell a million of those. You know, I go, I got my brochure, my glove, my hat, stocking cap way down. I go flying out the door and I, I knocked on doors all day long in the cold, in the misty. Only Toledo has this kind of sticky rain weather in the winter. And I came back and she goes, well, how did it go? And I said, we're going to die. 
I said, I did not sell one subscription. And she goes, oh, my gosh. Like, look at it. Almost like, you're a bad salesman. I said, no. I said, I said, because don't, she said, then she said, don't worry about it. You know, just take a break. We'll figure something out. And I'm, I did think about it. And what I thought is that I must be doing something wrong. Because there were other folks in the same training program with, as me. And they were selling stuff. And they were making money. So I, on Sunday, the day after, I went back to the same houses. And I knocked on their doors. And I said, excuse me. Do you remember me? And they'd say, yes. I told you yesterday I don't want it. And I said, why in the world is this so impossible to have cable TV? I mean, the guy said, well, it's, it's a, so look at the hole they put in there. It's like the size of an elephant trunk. I go, no, no. It's just a little, it's a little thing. It barely, you didn't even notice it. He said, oh, I, I, I didn't know that. I'll take it. Okay. So I, I go to the next house. And you know what the, how this is going to unravel. So I go, I keep on saying, why not? And I get the why. That, you know, it's too expensive, it's this, it's that, it doesn't have all the programs. And I answered each and every objection. And just by asking why, I learned the power of marketing. Because without why, if you don't know why someone's doing something or not doing it, you can't own it. Long story short, I, got, I became the number one salesman. I became a sales manager eventually. When I graduated from college, they, they hired me as an advertising director. I was promoted to director of marketing. I spent five years at the company. We sold more and we grew faster than any cable TV company in the nation, became the eighth largest in the country. And with that, I started doing all the advertising. So I'm, I'm gonna, This is why I got to California. Doing all the advertising, we took all the stuff that we did as a, an, we had an agency and we won the best prize you can win in Toledo for advertising. Well, there you go. That's the, that would have been the end of the story had I stayed in Toledo. And I'm nothing against Toledo. I love it and I go back as much as I can. But that wasn't, if you want to really hone your career, you can't, you got to go to a big market. And so what I did was I saddled up through the snow, January 78, and moved to California. It took a roundabout way to get there, but I got there. And I'm and I'm still here. I'm in San Clemente. <laughs> but you, you could have said it was January 1978, Toledo. Wouldn't you rather be in California, Mike? And I said, Yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, yeah, exactly. Well, I did. I did. I went to Chicago. I went to New York, and I did an interview around to see what I could find. And at California, the, the climate is just amazing here, and it, it turned out to be great. One of the parts of what you just shared that is so important. Maybe it's for guys like us that have been in the business of marketing, selling ads, selling cable subscriptions, whatever the case might be, is that not only do a lot of people say, I, I want to get to a bigger market, there's just a couple key bigger markets that is where almost everything is happening. And of course, the LA area, California, that was one of them and still lives for that matter. And so it makes complete sense to me. And so thanks for sharing that. So you get to California and you're involved in, I'm not, I'm not sure I have all of this correct and maybe chronology isn't that important, but you're eventually uh, running a significant ad agency. And f f from that point on, you're, you're not just involved in cable subscription anymore. You're now involved in, you know, branding and marketing strategy and all of those kinds of things. Where 
and, and I know you still do that, but where along that, that timeline did your personal branding for individuals, personal branding for the, the corporation, and then the strategy and planning of the concepts that you'd help promote to individuals and the corporate entities, where did that start to take place? Wow. Okay. It's, that's a good question. I, I think I'll, I'll fill in a little bit, you know, in terms of just jumping to where I was running an agency. As I, I worked in, in the newspaper business for a short time in Los Angeles, including the LA Times. And, and, and then when I did join an agency, which was my goal all along, uh, I found a place that was, happened to be at the cutting edge in terms of having technology clients. And my, the cli- one of the clients that I, I managed was Fairchild Semiconductor. And they were, along with Bell Labs, the place that invented the integrated circuit. So all of the things that we have in technology enjoyed today in terms of hardware and stuff began with that company. Now there's Intel and a, and a lot of others, of course, that are doing it. But what struck me as they were moving so fast, developing this technology, that there was something new every single week a new this or a that or a sundaying thing. And I just I just started I just started recognizing that, that change is such a constant uh, that it's not just something people talk about, yeah, things are going to change. This is something that they forced on themselves. They wanted change. And so they had a real positive attitude about innovation. And they didn't care if something was outdated. Because if they could make it new and better, that's what they wanted to do. Anyway, so I, I worked with these folks and still have really good relationships with them, you know, for four years. I met my wife there. Uh, and then we went, I went to a couple of other agencies. But I never forgot that. And, and it seemed to me that everywhere along the way, I would take some piece of information that I learned from one of the clients or a marketing plan or a piece of research or something. And I would kind of put it into this bucket of this is the stuff that you need to do in transition. And I became a specialist at helping companies and organizations go through change. You know, new products, brand extensions, line extensions, going public, that kind of stuff. And that's about the same time that I started an agency called Ergo Worldwide with a partner. And we just started promoting ourselves as, you know, experts in change. And it wasn't by category. I had, I had done automotive. I had done technical technology. I had done transportation. I have done hospitality. But transitional companies covers all of those categories. And at some point, I actually got my mentor from my very first agency who taught me the all of the bells and whistles and the essentials and the foundation of marketing, a, a next really a madman, you know, from a New York agency, very good friend, Jerry. And he came and joined us to consult. And we put together a, you know, a matrix that simplifies what companies and organizations need to look at in order to be successful in a transition. It's that simple. There's a lot of pieces to it, and it can get really deep. But if you have a good plan you just keep on trying it. And what we found is that over and over and over and over again, it was working. People were able to get from here to where they wanted to go. And like my North Star is always about, if you feel stuck, I'm your guy. You know, because if you if you want to do something, I can, we can devise a plan. And again, my, my personality is it's a winning perspective. There, there's got to be a way to win. And so our whole team was built around that. And we grew like crazy. 
and uh, you know, in different countries even. I mean, we we did business and we had an office in Paris and one in Madrid and we in San Francisco and Miami and we we're just all over. We flew to Seoul to work with Samsung, and and the same thing was always true, always true. There was change in the air, and and when someone believes that they, you can help them get through it, they glom on. And so I've had some really, really good client relationships because we've been successful at it. And again, I'm giving a long answer. Maybe I veered from some of the original question, but that's that's why kind of like what, what happened all of a sudden, something was triggered that that was the way to sell it. That was the way to position my brand. And and through that, I've just been doing the same thing over and over and over again now for you know many years. I sh- Thanks, Gary. I should have asked this earlier when you were... Uh, covering your cable TV sales experience. When you went back Sunday to follow up, was it the curiosity in you? Because you, you're obviously a person that curiosity is very important to you. And, and that's, a, that's an asset that I think some, maybe not enough people really appreciate. Curiosity is so important kills the cat sometimes, but it's very, very important in life. Was it the curiosity of wanting to know why the previous day wasn't successful? Or or maybe this is kind of a stupid question. Or was it curious in terms of why wasn't I closing? Why wasn't I selling? Or was it just curiosity in general that caused you to do that? Yeah, I, I don't know if you'd call it curiosity. Or that's part of it. I To me, it was... Again, I said, I always felt like I have a winning perspective. And when I wasn't selling, I wanted to know why. Because if I don't know why, I can't fix anything. So it was really my own mission. I I thought I'd actually come back with all kinds of things like, you're an idiot. You know, you you, you comb your hair the wrong way. You know, you you can't even speak English. What are you thinking? You know, but it was, there wasn't any objection to me. It was the objection to the way the question was asked. They were feeling sold before. And when you simply mm-hmm. ask a question, you take that out of the equation. And once we had a conversation, it changed the world. I like you said that one, one of the mentors in my life once said, you know, Mike, people don't like being sold. They like being able to buy. Yeah. And it's, it's the approach that allows them to do that. Yeah, Gary, on, on your website, I, and these uh, words just really s- scream to me. Nothing in isolation. And that's just really featured in it. I looked at it, I looked at it, and I looked at it. Help me understand how you use nothing in isolation without re- revealing trade secrets, maybe. How do you use that in your approach to branding and strategy and planning? Uh, you know, it actually what has inspired this this brand matrix that I ended up developing, and it's because we asked ourselves some simple questions. The thing about nothing in isolation means that to it, to deal in whatever you're dealing with, you've got to get your hands around the edges. Okay, so the, and the way the world is broken down is there's external factors that you can't control. That you know they are what they are. There's internal factors. You can control your company, your brand, and how you make it and all that stuff. Then there's strategic issues on one side, which is, 
you know, the goals in life. What do you want to be when you grow up? And then there are tactical issues on the other side, which is how do you plan on getting there? And if you just put that on a simple matrix, you'd see that by filling in each of those quadrants, if a simple X, Y matrix, you actually answer all the questions you need to know to get from where you want to go. And that, that leads right into positioning, which, as you know, is, is really what's the competitive landscape between you and the other guys? And what are the criteria that people are buying on? The nothing in isolation is saying that just when you think you know it all, you don't know it all. And there's always more to learn. So now today, everything moves so quickly. When I first started this, it wasn't quite that way. Research had a shelf life of a much longer period of time. Today, you can test things. Uh, and I teach this at school now. You, know, you can test something. If you don't like it, pull it. And, and keep testing and do something else. And you can keep finding the patterns that work. And, and because it's nothing in isolation, there's always a trail. There's always a connection. You can always see some pattern that you can really follow. And, and just the learning, it's just a way to learn. And it also reminds you that, you know, nothing's in isolation is means that if you try to be in isolation, it's very difficult. It's like, look at the war. If you're, you don't want to fight, but it's really difficult not to fight. And, mm-hmm. and so there's, there's things like that all the time. We are a connected society. And, and when you tell people that we're connected, they, that's, a, that's the first aha moment they have. Of, of course we are. And so everything matters because we're all connected. So I hope that answers your question. But uh, it, it, gives me, it inspires me when I, when I use that phrase in my own head that I can sometimes bring something to the party that the client had never considered before. Because there's a piece out there that he didn't know. And there's an old story. I'll tell it re- really fast. A guy has an ad agency selling dog food. Ad agency is not doing well. He fires the ad agency. So give me a new campaign. Fire gets a new ad agency. New campaign. Doesn't do very well. Fires the ad agency. G- give me another new campaign. Well, finally, somebody, you know, one of the interns is in the conference room one day. He says, I don't know why these people can't do a halfway decent campaign so I can sell some dog food. And this kid raises his hand. He goes, the dogs don't like it. <laughs> I mean, it's just that simple sometimes. <laughs> this, 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 let me ask the question this way. We're kind of close to the same vintage. We, I don't know if you actually sold radio advertising before you were selling cable, uh, but I did. And... I was t- trained by a guy that said, look, here's the way this is going to work. You're going to call on people that they probably don't listen to your radio station. They never re- re- listen to your station. The ads won't work two-thirds of the time. They're going to fail in their mind, but you still have to collect the bill. And so that was my indoctrination to the world of sales and advertising and marketing and the whole ball of wax. The rest, rest is uh, history. And in context... TV at the time, it was ABC, CBS, NBC, and public. Mm-hmm. Cable was just being introduced where I live probably around 1977, 78, something like that. And it took a while for it to, to explode. Mm-hmm. I'm going into all that detail so we can fast forward to where we are today. I carry a, one of the most powerful computers ever invented in my hand. I use it for phone, texting, communicating, all sorts of things. I'm literally connected to anybody in the world I want to be connected to. 
I'm connected to people I don't even want to be connected to because you and I can be having a conversation somewhere talking about some restaurant that you ate at. And all of a sudden I get home and I have ads for that restaurant because the phone heard heard mm-hmm. the information. I, I'm kind of fast forwarding this to, to, to from when you moved to California 40 plus years ago and got involved in this wonderful industry. How did the speed of change, the way I just went through it, how does the speed of change in technology change your approach to nothing in isolation and helping people change during that period of time and during this incredibly accelerated period of growth and change? You know, that's that's uh, it's a really good question. I'm not sure there was a point. I think it was maybe more of a baton pass, you know, where uh, – it was easy to control. Going back to the TV networks, you know, I happened to be lucky enough to work on Fox Broadcasting when it wanted to become the fourth network. And so there's a, there's a couple of essential pieces that are that are relevant to every brand. And, and that is the brand character, which is the personality of the organization. And then that has to get translated to a brand concept. That's something that's meaningful. So when you come at it as if, you know the answer, and you're not thinking in nothing in isolation. You can make mistakes. So Fox uh, was run by Rupert Murdoch and Barry Diller and Peter Chernin, and they decided they wanted to be the fourth network. So they raided the other three networks. They they uh, they hired the best writers they could get. They got some talents. They got some studios. They signed up about 110 affiliate stations across the country. They went on the air, and they bombed. Nobody was watching. Uh, and, and so we took them as the next agency, cause again, they got to find another better agency cause nobody's watching and said, you know, let's, let's take a look at the essential character of this brand. It's, and we decided that it was Maverick, that, that, that word best described Rupert Murdoch and his power. And so if you're a Maverick, the concept can't be better than the competition. The concept has to be different than the competition. And so with that, Married with Children, In Living Color, The Simpsons, a whole bunch of other programs came out that set them apart in a big way. And that was actually very true to their own personal character. So that's one way of nothing in isolation, understanding that everything matters. But as you start going through time where technology starts unraveling the, the, the historical legacy of how things are connected. And you've got streaming networks that you've never heard of. You've got 24-7 podcasts going and programming all over the place. You have to recognize, as I did, that even though I've been teaching it since 2003, I don't know it all anymore. And so you have to, you have to pick your spots. Nothing in isolation means that while we're speaking right now, stuff is being invented and getting put into the marketplace at such speed and levels that we can't we can't all know about it. Uh, so it's it's uh, you have to rely sometimes on someone to source it for you, and so you take you you cut corners a little bit. But the thing is, it's it's just really true, and that's because the universe is actually getting smaller. It's it's not it's well. I take that back. It's getting bigger in the sense that you can't know as much, but it's getting closer in terms of how fast. You can you stay connected. So there's a lot of aspects going on. This is all part of the technology ruling our society. It's a networked economy. It always has been. And you think about um, just historically, man has always wanted to be a networked person. 
They wanted to be connected to neighbors. They needed to be connected through trade routes and and trade and 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 waterways. And they built trails and they cut pathways and they started to connect cities and towns together. Then they started traveling and commerce became global. There was always this need to be connected. And we connected and connected. We finally discovered the, the America. Countries wanted to take over the, this place and own it all. And so it just kept on going and going and going. Of course, now with information being the, the main thing we share quickly in digital and the disruption that just took place because of the pandemic, everybody knows about Zoom. Everybody can have a video conversation and be comfortable with it. This is this is accelerate. This is putting the foot on the gas and the turbos at the same time. And it's not just impacting the individual consumer, in my view. It's impacting businesses and how they conduct themselves. And there's a, just a lot of exciting stuff going on there right now. I wasn't going to talk about this, but you you, you mentioned and thank you for sharing that, Gary. You mentioned the you know pandemic. The number of podcasts that were created during the pandemic exponentially more significant than the number of podcasts from the day it started up until that period of time for a variety of reasons. One, of course, was people that were in some form of entertainment, whether they're studio musicians in Nashville or they have a sitcom Mm -hmm. or they're actors in the theater or actors for a Hollywood movie or a TV series, they're not working. Almost no, mm. and, and you know that better than I because you're you're in a state that was f- far more uh, closed down and for a longer period of time than North Dakota. You know, we mm. were closed down for about 15 minutes for the better or worse. But all of a sudden, people were turning to the technology you just resu- referred to, Zoom, to try to create a brand for themselves to survive and use PayPal or whatever to generate income during a time where there was no income flowing. Mm-hmm. Great point. Yeah. You mentioned your teaching. You've been uh, an instructor at the University of California, Irvine. Right. For, for some time. H- how has the messaging or the curriculum that you teach changed from the day you started teaching to now? Oh, man. Uh, well, I started, you know, and two things, have, a lot of things have happened. Everything's become more streamlined. But way back when I first started, everything was on campus. Uh, you couldn't take a class any other way. And we had in, in UC Irvine, we had quite a few of uh, exchange students and things. So we had different nationalities and stuff, but they would come. And the classes size were running like... 30 to 50, depending on the session. And they were 10 to 12 weeks of, of instruction. And so the material, and I, this is the continuing education program. So these are working professionals that I'm talking to, marketing directors and other people that want to move up, move the needle and take their, their life and their job to the next level. Uh, and we would take, we would study the entire essentials of marketing book. I mean, just everything from soup to nuts, and there is in marketing. And I did that for many, many, many years. And then we would we splintered off at some point and said, okay, let's do something on geopolitical marketing, or let's do something on this. And so different categories started getting formed and, you know, until uh, social media started taking off again. Once the social media platform started modulating at a higher frequency, 
people, there's a thing called network effects that the more people join, the faster things start to happen. And that had an impact at the school as well. So about five years ago, the the kind of cut the story short here is I stopped teaching the everything. And I've just now, I was just teaching branding before. Now I'm teaching integrated marketing communications as part of a digital certificate that people can earn. And so I have I have kind of a, a, a smaller window into the life of these students that are going through all these courses now, no longer 10 or 12 weeks, no longer 50 students, 10, 15 students, five weeks, six weeks. It's accelerated. Even the learning is, so you can't teach at all. And, uh, and I, I'm, I'm learning, sometimes I get frustrated by that because I'll get a student that doesn't have the context for what I'm just about to tell them. And you have to have a certain kind of minimum uh, requirement. So I teach a little bit of marketing 101 at the beginning of every course and take the time to do it because that's the way people are learning. So again, you know, the answer to your question is that it has changed dramatically. I've, I've only been teaching online now the last five years. And the beauty of that, Mike, is, you know, I get students, I got right now one from Scotland and one from China. And, and uh, so it's hard to have live Zoom classes or everybody's on the same time zone, but we record them and we make them work and it's not all Zoom. So the, the way education is, is being pushed out has really changed. It's very, very competitive. As many podcasts are out there, as you just alluded to, think about the universities and organizations like Coursera that put out free classes. It is very, very competitive and, uh, and everybody can learn whatever they want to learn. And, and I've also noticed just this last quarter, a kind of a, with my students, a, an ennui, a, a, a slowness. Like, and, and it's not just the students. It's, I think all of us are kind of slowed down a little bit as we're coming through a pandemic, coming through this isolation. We've got a war on the horizon. And I, I sense, and I, I don't have any research to back this up, that, that we're all kind of distracted a little bit. Uh, it's not. It's not easy aces. It's. It's not just calm. There's something always going on, and it's impacting us again. Back to nothing in isolation. You know, we we don't buy that oil from them. You know, they don't make any money. So everybody's connected. You cut something off, it matters. Uh, and, but I'm, I'm feeling a sense of kind of you know kind of a slow burn a little bit uh, from folks that are just getting a little bit tired of all of it. And uh, including all the politics stuff, which I don't want to get into by any stretch, but that's another yeah. thing. You know, and I agree with you 100%, Gary. And unfortunately, that probably isn't going to change anytime soon. And the, the, the one thing, not that I'm qualified to have meaningful advice, but we've been around long enough, you can at least throw it out. One thing I would encourage people to do is force yourself to sometimes step back and reflect and not let some of this stuff get the stuff you can't control, which is most of the stuff you just talked about. If you let that consume you and eat you up, it is not going to be good for your health. It's not going to be good for you and your ability to connect to others, especially the people that love you love and that they mm-hmm. love you. The, the crap we can't control. Sometimes we spend too much time agonizing over it and for what because there's nothing you're better off praying maybe and just move on to something else so enough of that (laughs) so if I heard you correctly 
the last five years of online educating, when the, when the pandemic hit, it didn't necessarily impact you that much in terms of how you were delivering the educational information. Is that correct? That, that's true. In fact, all my clients are technically savvy. You know, one's a technology company and, and works on Zoom constantly. So, yeah, I didn't miss a beat. I've been working all along pretty steady, and um, it's been good. It's been good. So in terms of the educational piece at University of California, Irvine, and then the consulting, which has been virtual or online, neither one of those were significantly impacted for you. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. It's, wow. it's which, which is good. It's surprising. That, that doesn't mean that things can't happen. Because yeah. they, they do happen. I lose, you know, I don't like to lose clients, but every once in a while there's a, a compelling reason. Usually it's a yeah. merger or something. But but the fact is you can't control everything. So I could worry about losing a client, but what would it, what good would it do me? It's better yeah. off to, to, to be concerned about what I can create. Because I, I, I believe that that's where the power of change is. Is that once you believe that you can change it, you can, and and this gets is this is at the crux of all my books. It's it's what I preach to my clients about their business too. You, if if you think you can do it, we'll find a way for it to get done. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's it's but you got to believe, and that that's easier to say than it is to do. You may have just answered the question that, that, that I wanted to ask of you, and I don't remember if it's in. Uh, the book that I read, uh, Zen Zone, Reaching a State of Positive Change. Yeah, the books, by the way, Now and Zen and Book of Zen. S-Z-E-N, by the way, short for Zendersky. The, I, again, I don't remember if it's on the website or in the book. Thinking about something is the first step in getting it done. Yes. My, my, which I get it. My, here's my question. If it's the first step in getting something done, why do so many of us not get something done? Is it because we haven't started to think about it? You know, I, I tell you, it's, it's probably really simple. And I, again, I don't have a lot of research on this, but I, I find that our, our minds are so insanely capable of doing anything we want to do. So it's if you could just isolate a thought then you could make that thought come to life. But we have a gazillion thoughts. Some are contradictory to the original thought. So, <laughs> you know, it's like you have to, and so you have to like find a way to articulate that thought in a way that presents a, an obvious action to do. And if you can kind of take yourself through those steps, then you're now, now you're doing an action. So I'm, I'm talking about making a audiobook of all the of the best of the three books that I've written and and uh so I, I a year ago April I I started asking around to find out who I should be talking to to re- help me record this cuz I was going to do it myself long story short I got really busy uh, grandkids came things came business got going you know stuff happened and and it's it's now a year later and I still haven't done it, and and but I've got these notes that are now at the top of the pile. So uh, I, I'm actually doing. I've talked to a studio today. I'm going to talk to another one, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to put this into motion. Uh, and and part of that is I just had some downtime because a client has has moved on. So I'm taking advantage of the time. 
that's really the the whole thing is that if you don't do act, if you don't take action, nothing's really going to happen. And you can think about things till you're crazy and it won't matter. Yeah, action is required. To, absolutely. With regards to your clients, and I'm going to plant the seed. So eventually, I'm going to ask you without revealing who. One of your most, if not the most successful campaign ride you, you've ever had that someone bought, and maybe if you're willing to, the one that didn't go off so well, anticipated. Oh man, tough. When you're so you've been involved in this for a while, you, you've you've experienced a lot, which makes you very valuable in terms of why people should be hiring you and why people should. Uh, keep you on retainer, if nothing else, but make sure that, because something about, about experience is of great value yeah. in, in my estimation. But this premise of what you did to get you here or what you did to get you where you are isn't good enough to get you from here to there. That I'm, I'm kind of butchering the, the, the theory, if you will, but it's true. And especially maybe more true now than ever. When you have to help an organization or an individual in an organization that is somewhat set on, you know, what we've done is really good. It's good enough. It was good enough to get us to here. And I, I'm confident it's good enough to get us to the next phase or step. How do you work in terms of, you know, maybe there's a better way to look at that, given the, the conditions that we're in mm -hmm. and nothing's in isolation. How do you work with that, Gary? Uh you know, I, I, I'm going to use a, some a paraphrase a little bit from Stephen Covey, the, the great business writer, wrote, you know, the, hap, the five habits of highly effective people. And one of the things that, that he talks about is you begin with the end in mind. And so what, what I tell clients is, you know, think about a perfect world, where this product would be, what would it be selling for, yada, yada, yada. And then after you've achieved that in your head, now where do you take it? And let's go with that thing. And then we just reverse engineer the steps that we need to make it happen. So, and I've been doing a lot of those they are kind of strategic brainstormings, but they, they center around not just, you know, because we're all used to just being able to do things that we've already done before. But if you, if you start to open up uh, yourself to some thinking that maybe you've never, not, it's never been done, that's exciting for clients. It's exciting for readers to say, okay, I really, I really can do this. And, and, you know, I, I, was, I really believe that if I think it, I can actually make something happen uh, just by thinking it. And I, I believe this because our thoughts are just like little electronic impulses on the, on the quantum mechanical field. And it's all shared by the universe. And we all kind of can, can have an impact to one thing, one person or another. And I'll, I'll give you an example of something that just happened to me last Monday. And and this is this is going to giving some personal information out, but I like to I like to gamble every once in a while because it it relaxes me. And uh, I had some I got some bad news from a client on Monday, and so I I decided to stroll off to the local Indian casino here in California. It's run by the Indians, and uh, I started playing. I had, had some money with me, and not a lot, but I uh, I ended up after a couple of few hours losing it. 
and going back to the earlier part of this conversation, I don't, I don't like, I'll knock on the door. Why did I lose that? Come on, let me know. And so I, I went to the ATM, not like, not something I normally like to do. And I sat back down again and I tried to shift my thinking. I'm saying, okay, let's assume that this game is called, it's video poker. So I just sit there. It's me and the machine. It's going to deal me some good cards. And I just got to make the best decision I can on which ones I hold and which ones I fold. Simple, simple concept. But the game rewards you if you get it right. So I sit down. 20 minutes later, this machine delivers, deals me four aces without me even having to draw a card. I have, to, I have no thinking whatsoever. And it's, it, it wins a whole bunch of money. I go, this is, this is great. And so, because I always play to win four of a kind because I think it's the highest... The only other hand that's higher than that is a royal flush. Anyway, uh, so I went through this and and I and I kept on winning. They kept on sending me good cards. And at one point, it dealt me the ten jack, queen, ace, seven of diamonds. So it was a flush automatically. You win like forty bucks or something. Okay, but I had the ace, ten, jack. Uh, queen, and I, all I needed was the king of diamonds, and I would win 400 times that amount of money. 400 is the factor. I looked, I looked at it, and I said, send me the king of diamonds. And boom, it hit. It was amazing. It just happened. Actually, I wrote about it in my story yesterday, the, the Book of Zen. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it's powerful stuff. Now, that's a that's a function of one person believing in himself, maybe, and just getting really lucky because it is astronomically lucky. But I like to believe that I had something to do with it. Well, that leads me to this question with regards to, you know, whether it's personal branding. And really what that means is all, all the things that we do, say, measure, whatever the, to have someone have an impression of us and it fits the marketing and it's, and to, you know, have a engagement with us. Um, and if it's the corporate, it's something real similar. What, based on your experience, what do you think the number one thing is that holds us back from pulling a trigger when it comes to some change or implementing something that we know can make a, could make a significant difference, what do you think the number one reason is that we don't do it? You know, I, I, think, there's, I think there's two big reasons, but the number one I would say is just inertia. You know, we're just, we're just so conditioned to do things a certain way. And there's a lot of books on the subject of how to change your mind and change your world. And they'll say that any habit you have can be broken with by adding a new habit and just continuing with that habit for like 30 days. And it, But it seems like just a short period of time. Why well, I can do that. No problem. Well, day 10, day 10, 11, you know, like, okay, you, you revert back to something that's comfortable. It's you get into your comfort zone. And I, I'm going to I'm going to probably botch this quote by a guy named Adam Braun. But he said, you know, true self-discovery happens where com the comfort zone ends. 
And, mm-hmm. and so you have to have something that kind of jolts you a little bit out of that, which gives to the second reason why we don't do things. And that is the fear of failure. You know, if you don't really believe in yourself, you think you're going to fail, boy, you will. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. going to be lining up there just to knock you down. And so I think, like again, these are all self-inflicted inside of our own psyche that that's making these things happen. And, uh, and we can just learn to control that and give ourselves a break. You know, not to just put ourselves down that I can't do that. I can't do that. It's too much work. Well, you can. You can go back to those same houses and knock on that door and find out why you didn't succeed. People will be happy to tell you. You know? <laughs> Gary, you're an author, you're a leadership coach, you help uh, individuals and corporation organizations plan for their strategies, their branding and their and their marketing uh, strategies. Why is what you do important either to an individual and or a, a corporation or a company? And the reason I'm asking that question is, then I'm going to ask you, why should people reach out and contact you? Why is that important? Well, I, you know, I, I think uh, to me, it's, it's um, I've just been there, done that. And, and I believe... First of all, I only take clients that I believe in. If I don't think I can help them, uh, I'll, I'll walk away. And I've done that a few times. So when you're with a, with a client or with an individual that knows that you believe in them, that's already one. That's already a champion of one. And you can, you can easily add two. And then you get two, you can get four. Four gets you eight. And so that's the power of positive thinking and belief that, and that keeps, it's instilled in everything that we do. Yeah, there's some technical stuff. You got to do some market research. You got to make sure the product efficacy is right. The packaging's done right. The, the copy is good. And you can do all that stuff. But, you know, you got to, all along the way, you got to keep believing. You got to keep pushing yourself. And sometimes clients need that extra push. You need to tell them something that maybe they even said it themselves, but didn't remember they said it. So you can, you said it yourself, you can do this. And you're, you're, it's like, sometimes it's just being a cheerleader, but it's also knowing when to cheer, when to get real, when to get serious, and when to know that you don't know enough to to proceed. That's Mm -hmm. why nothing in isolation is so important. You help the client understand the same context that, that I do. So it's the context that I can provide, I think. You know, I'll have all this information on MikeSeminary.com, but how would you prefer people reach out to you, Gary? Uh, I think the easiest and best way is to um, just send me an email directly. I have a number, number of websites, so that there's like, that's a lot of data, but the, uh, the email that I prefer is uh, Gary S, that's G-A-R-Y-S, at Zen, S, as in Sam, Z as in Zebra, E-N, dot us and and just say you heard me on mike's show or whatever and i'll be happy to talk to you and and i get calls and i get requests and i get information all the time and people that i just thought i would never hear from again suddenly get me on the line because when i start thinking about the power of this like just through your show your connection i i'm amazed that like that you know a friend of mine that's from north dakota that you barely know has got us talking here and it's, it's, it's incredible. And I think that's, if we all could just see the joy of that, 
that we can do this every single day. We can reach out and actually make new connections. We'd all be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Gary, these are, as you've alluded to earlier, these are interesting times. There are reasons for us to have some concerns. As we also talked about that some of them, we can do nothing about them. Mm -hmm. That said, it still impacts us and it's impacting economies. It's impacting a lot, at least at the present time. Given that, if you had a magic wand that you could wave over the heads of anybody that's struggling with their current circumstances, those things that they can control, those other things aside, what's the one thing you'd want them to know? Uh, that, you know, inside of all of us, I believe, is an engine for success and it and it comes. It's 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 a gift. We all get it. And I and I, I believe that you know there's something to be said on a spiritual basis that we're all created in the image and likeness of our Maker. And so if that is the case, there's some portion of the Creator in all of us. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look, if you seek inside of you, in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, to find that and let it go, you can go anywhere you want to. It's just that you know it's. There's too many conditional things. There's all kinds of other stuff and day-to-day stuff. And just the world at large gets in the way. But the fact is we have the power. And and if we could just learn to tap into it, even a little bit, you might just have that one king of diamonds moment where it suddenly comes to you. you know. Uh, but if you don't ask, you don't try, you can just accept random yunk, uh, luck, then you might not get anywhere. You can control it. You create your own luck. I, I think that's that's really the theme of everything I do with my clients and the people that I, I talk to and teach is that it's up to you. You, uh, to you Let me know where you want to go. I'll help you get there, and I'll be your cheerleader. I'll, I'll get you there any way we can. The book that I read is Zen Zone, Reaching a State of Positive Change. I have not read Gary's other two books yet, but I will. And I'm going to encourage you to buy that book and do it today. If for no other reason, you need to know more about the story regarding Buddy than I asked Gary about, it really, really struck me. It, it, it profoundly impacted me in terms of how I think about sharing with other people and what difference that makes. And if more of us did that, by the way, uh, just a home. It's just, a, it's just an incredibly better place we'd all be living in. Gary, thank you so much for joining me. It was, again, thank you, Jane, for suggesting that you and I meet and have this conversation. I've learned a lot from, from you, and uh, I'm looking forward to reading your other books and maybe having you on another time, maybe about the time you get ready to get push your book out. We'll Absolutely. have you back on and we can talk about that. No, uh Mike, this has been a great conversation. You really honor me. I, I so appreciate it. And uh, it's it's just, you've asked the right stuff. You got, uh, we definitely are on the same page, I think, when it comes to how we see the world. And it's it's always refreshing to meet someone like that. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gary. It's been, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you. Thanks, Mike.